there. Welcome back to another session at the Ignite Your Wellness podcast, where I help overwhelm entrepreneurs level up their yoga practice to achieve more successful results in their business by reducing distracting aches, stress, and exhaustion. This week, I'm interviewing gut health specialist, Tracy Robert. We talk about many things. I love this episode for many reasons. First of all, she is a cancer survivor, so you'll hear a bit about her story and why she's so passionate about learning about gut health. And you will also learn how to keep your gut healthy. And this is especially important because this can boost your immunity. It can also help to decrease inflammation if you are in pain or have any discomfort or soreness. So for so many reasons, I hope you find benefit from this episode. I will leave you to it. Enjoy. Okay. Hello there, Tracy. I'm so glad we could connect here. Me too, Allison. I'm really appreciating the fact that I get to be a part of your podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad. Tell us a little bit about your story and your journey that's brought you to the work you're doing these days. I have been in the fitness and wellness industry for the last 20 years. My background is education. So I'm just a teacher at heart. I love to teach. I love to educate. I love to talk. I like everybody listening to me. (laughs) I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, and I moved to Texas around 2001, right before 9-11. And I remember when I moved here, there were quite a few people who were like, we can get you a teaching job. And I was just in a transition. And I thought to myself, you know, how can I make working out a job? How do I do that? Like, this is, I think, I love this. It's like making something you're so passionate about and trying to figure out how to make money. It kind of started there. And over the years, I kind of evolved as a personal trainer. I got my credentials as a nutrition coach and I just got my life coaching credentials. In 2015, I had a major life event. I ended up with colorectal cancer. That has been a huge turning point and I feel like the process of that is still going on. And I think you kind of have a gut check as well. I mean, I had just turned 40. I was thinking, this is going to be such an amazing decade. I'm turning 40. I feel good. I just met somebody after being single for six years and being a single mom and boom, like four months later, you have cancer. And this is after living such a healthy lifestyle. And I think that was really where there was so much grief in that moment because I had always had some gut health issues. But I had gone to doctors. I ate really clean. I mean, whole food, plant-based mainly. I mean, I still eat meat, but it's not a lot. So I hadn't eaten dairy in 25 years, but nobody really could help me. Like, what is wrong with my stomach? Like, what is going on? And of course, they would classify it as IBS. We don't really know what to do. Here's some stool softeners. Here's some Metamucil. Eat some more fiber. And I did all those things, but it really... It was like I learned how to manage it better, but it never went away, the inflammation. You know, I was on TikTok the other day and I'm sharing my story on there and I had boxing gloves on and I was like, let me share what the last 20 years has looked like for me as far as inflammation is concerned, because most of us know inflammation causes cancer. And even though I was doing all the quote unquote right things, from being able to eat the right foods, exercise, work on my mental health, my emotional health, my spiritual, all the things. I was very proactive. It was like constant inflammation. So I put on the Rocky music 
-hmm. and I just started boxing. And it was like, <laughs> this is what happens to yourself over and over trauma, 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 punch, punch. And then your body just says, I can't do it anymore. And so about a year ago, I found out I had SIBO. That kind of gave me another piece of the puzzle. And I understood that I had this overgrowth of bacteria. That's a SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So how did you come to that conclusion or diagnosis? I'm a huge advocate for myself. I like to always tell people, advocate, keep researching. And I kind of came about it. I had a friend who had been exposed to mold and in her quest to heal herself, she did a breath test and you can order it online. You don't even need a doctor for it. It's a test that is a piece of the puzzle, I would say. There's nothing else right now really that you can do to find out if you have SIBO except for this test. It's not perfect, but you do this breath test. You drink this stuff. You have a diet that you have to be on for about 24 hours drink this stuff, and then you breathe into these tubes and these vials, and then you send the vials off. And it can tell you if you're testing positive for hydrogen or methane. So that's how you find out. So I tested positive for both. Mm -hmm. I had both hydrogen and methane. And so when you have hydrogen and methane gases, if you are kind of IBSD, so you have a lot of diarrhea, usually you have high amounts of hydrogen. There's actually an antibiotic that you can take because it's a bacteria that causes okay. that. So that's the treatment you go to a GI typically is here's an antibiotic regimen. But if you have IBS-C, which I had a combination, but I would say mainly C, constipation, that is caused by methane. This is not a bacteria. This is actually something called, I hope I don't say it incorrectly, but it's like archaea. They don't know how to treat this. There's nothing that they have right now to fix this. So I did what's called the low FODMAP diet. I tried that. I tried the specific carb diet. I mean, I was like, after getting cancer and doing all the things to help myself just be healthy, I thought I will do whatever it takes. So I started water fasting 2017. And then finally, in August of last year, after trying all these things, and I did that, I did the antibiotics, I did all kinds of different things. I followed this doctor, Dr. Daniel Pampa, and he was starting to talk about this problem with SIBO and he gave a protocol. And I was like, I had followed this guy for a couple of years and I thought I would lick the dirt off my sneaker if he told me it would work. You know, I mean, that's where I was at. I was like, clearly I have tried everything I can think of and everything I've been reading and I still have inflammation. Like this is not okay. So it was a diet variation and some supplements. And so I got the supplements and I'm not a big supplement taker. Like I've always been somebody that feels like a lot of those, you're just wasting your money. And so I'm really cautious about a lot of that. But I was like, I'm trusting this guy, I'm going to do it. And the first two weeks I had to do the carnivore diet. Oh, of all. <laughs> I don't know, 30 some years. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> Right? I was like, uh, I don't even like touching meat. And now I have to like, this is what I'm going to do for two weeks. But I was like, all right, the goal was to starve out the bacteria. Mm -hmm. That's what he found is with a lot of the people that had this starving out the bacteria was working. So I did it. And I'll tell you what, the first three days, not being super graphic, but I mean, I just was in my house. I had diarrhea. I was like, okay, you know, and after that, my mind felt clear. My stomach never felt better. I was lean. Like I just like so lean. I was like, wow, this is crazy. 
after about two weeks, and basically my diet was like eggs and some chicken and then like hamburger or something. And I mean, I got it all from local farmers and stuff like that. But I was like, I don't know how anybody could live like this. Mm, (laughs) But then you slowly start to add back some low FODMAP foods. So it's been since August, what is that, seven, eight months? I would say I'm like 90% better. And you water fast every month for five days. Oh, five days. For me personally, I found, because, well, you and I probably experienced our fair share of colonoscopies more than the Or you I actually one, like one. them, actually. I do too. You know, it's the prep. That's awful. Truthfully, I like the forced prep because I feel like it's so cleansing. Yes, I totally agree. And I'm like, I do. And I felt better. Like, I would be like, okay, this is crazy when I feel better. When I'm going to get a colonoscopy. Like, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what got me really thinking too about what do I need to do that's out of the box? Because water fasting is when I felt the best. Like mm-hmm. I felt better when I wasn't eating. And obviously we can't live like that. So it's like, okay. what can I do to improve this? So yeah, I'm actually, I have some people who are vegetarian yeah. and they're struggling right now with some gut issues and the first recommendation and they're going to go do the breath test. There is actually something and I have not tried it yet, but I want to, it's called IBS Shore and it can test if you have antibodies in the gut and it can show if you have an allergy in the gut because that's something that they can't test you for specifically in the gut. I don't know all the details of it. I'm kind of like looking into it right now, but you do have to have a doctor's note for that. But this is good. And I think if you take the key components and maybe able to extrapolate it eventually for vegans and vegetarians, I'm sure there'll be modifications because just by nature of vegan and vegetarian, there's more carbs. Naturally, there's more carbs and a lot of times more fiber. And so that's- And that's what bacteria love. It's like fast food for it. And so when you're like, okay, the lifestyle I want to live looks like this, but the way to get there doesn't seem to align. And so when I have these people, what I'm about to do probably next Monday is I'm actually going to repeat the protocol, but I am going to do a lot of greens. So I'm going to be like, all right, I'm going to still do eggs because obviously I can't do beans. That's one thing I've really found. I still can't do beans. There's certain foods I still can't do but I'm going to keep the eggs in there and I'm going to do a lot of green leafy vegetables and low FODMAP, like very low FODMAP. I'm going to see how my body reacts using the supplements so that when these people kind of come back to me and say, okay, we're ready to do something that I have a different alternative. You have to do the carnivore diet, you know, because sometimes that's just against people's religions. That's against people's beliefs. Maybe the process is a little bit different, like it's a little bit slower, or I would guess it'd just be slower because with the fiber still coming in and the carbs still coming in, in a small amount, it would just take yeah. a little bit longer to yeah. flush it out. But I still think that the effects would be good. I do too, because like the other things that you take with it, there's supplements that are called killers that you take that help to basically balance the bacteria. Then there is something called interphase that helps to break down the biofilm. Basically this bacteria, they're so smart. They like hide in this 
it's not layer. That's mm -hmm. basically what it is. They cover themselves to protect themselves from being killed. And then there's prokinetics, which a lot of people with these issues have a motor control issue. And there is something called your MMC. It's a migrating motor complex. And it is the part of our intestines that help to stimulate digestion, the right? The motility. And so some of that is the problem as well. And that can do with the vagus nerve. And my husband has had CRPS, which affects your vagus nerve. And a lot of that is digestion driven. Yeah. You know this, right? I feel like we're kindred spirits coming from similar, like Rochester, Buffalo, migrating, and the same work. Because this has been my work is I was diagnosed with IBS when I was 10 years old. Okay. Yeah. My parents, they did the best that they could do with what they had at that time. But at that time in my life, how I interpreted my surroundings, I was under a lot of stress. And I really feel like because of that, that's what really affected my colon health. So that's kind of been like my lifelong work, not even knowing. And now that the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system, it's all yes. coming out in research. And now I'm, I'm like, so I awesome. this my life. I yeah. love it. Like, and so now I'm like, really, I'm taking trainings on it and reading books and I'm incorporating it in with my clinic. Um, so I work with a lot of people with orthopedic pain, like back issues or neck issues or headaches. And it's all related. You can't yeah. overlook any of this. You yeah, know? exactly. I think especially seeing him go through, you know, Philip to me was somebody who I would say he wasn't necessarily overly proactive in the world of alternative healing, you know, went kind of the traditional route. He started having fatigue. He got testosterone. He went and did Ambien because he couldn't sleep. So he did a lot of the medical traditional stuff. And by the time his vagus nerve was just so out of whack, he had an event. He had a sprained ankle. It got worse. They put him in a boot and boom, he had blood clots and that created CRPS. And I mean, we didn't have a clue. I mean, right. it's called the suicide disease yeah. and pain 24 seven. I mean, it's awful. And so when he went to this clinic in Arkansas, I mean, she's doing amazing work. They can't say cure or whatever, but he would say he's cured. I mean, the stuff mm -hmm. that she is doing there is incredible. And we decided to start a foundation out of that because there was so many people just being healed. And it's just the body can heal itself. It really, truly is such a beautiful machine that sometimes I think we're so quick to run to medication and all these other things. And I think that's what was so hard for me because I didn't go running off to these traditional methods. I was really trying to do all the things to heal my body and heal my brain and my emotions and my nervous system. And I wrestled with that for a while. Like, okay, I got cancer. Who am I to now? Right. Oh, I see. Somebody else. So same exact. <laughs> you know, I was even told one time by a very good spirited friend of the family who's older. She's maybe in her late sixties, but I mean, my surgery was very compared to yours, very simple. And most cancers, because I was so lucky, it was caught early that they could get it out one shot three to four weeks heal and then go on with my life. And she was like, no, no, no. She was so against Western medicine. Don't get the surgery. You can go and do this diet thing and go down to this retreat and do this thing for a couple weeks and you can heal your cancer. And I guilt shame myself. I'm like, I'm a yogi. Like I live these alternative methods, but 
I know in my gut I need to do the Western medicine and get the surgery because otherwise I'm just being a reckless mom. And I agree, totally agree. I remember the doctor coming in after I had gone through neoadjuvant therapy is what they call treatment, where they do chemo radiation, then you go for colonoscopy, they check you, and then you do surgery. Well, for me, the tumor in the sphincter muscle, and because of that, I was going to end up with a permanent colostomy. And so I was devastated and I was looking at everything I could find like, oh, they take pig intestines and try to do, you know, I was like, how can they not make a new asshole? Like they can, sorry, how can they not understand this? You know, like they can make a new heart valve, but they can't. And so (laughs) (laughs) it was just like unbelievable. But you know, it's funny because people were sending me all kinds of stuff. Oh, do frankincense, do lemons, do and I'm like, dude, I do all of that. I do all of that stuff. And it did not help me. And I think there's a place for traditional Western medicine. They're absolutely like yeah. For me. So I decided, you know, I told her, I'm like, I love you. Thank you so much for giving me this information. However, I have an option right now to completely guarantee be rid of the cancer. And because I have a young daughter, that's the route I'm going to go low risk. And I told her, I go, but I'm not disregarding what you're saying. Like during preparing for the surgery and after, like I went to a naturopath. I really refined my diet. I used my essential oils. I meditated more than I usually did. So I did step up my game some, Yeah, but there's no guarantee. There's no crystal ball, you know? There's not. And I think when you come out of that side of it, after you go through something like that, your judge inside, like we all have the judge, even if we don't say it out of our mouth, we have the judge that says, "Mm," you know, before you get cancer or something, you're like, well, I would do this, you know? (laughs) And all of a sudden that judge gets a little different. And even though you may catch yourself you also then are on the other side of other people's judgment. And you're like, yeah, well, okay. People, health coaches, whatever will say, oh, just do this. And then you won't get cancer. Just do this. And you're oh, sitting there going. The whole epigenetics <laughs> field, it drives me nuts. Yes. Because I have a genetic mutation and actually DNA error. Like, okay. So it's not like a gene is turned on or off. And I'll get people that still to this day will tell me, well, just change your diet and it'll turn that gene off. And I'm like, no, 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 that's epigenetics. This is like, it was how I was born. It's a DNA thing. It's already expressed or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And not to say that epigenetics is bad. I think it's putting out there like wonderful information on lifestyle. And I think even for those of us with predisposing conditions, like a genetic mutation or whatever deck of cards we were born with, I think it just maybe that prevented the spread of my cancer. So it wasn't aggressive. I think there is a time and a place for that. But again, I don't think it's like a guarantee. And I don't think no. It's kind of, and it brings a lot of shame. I think, unfortunately, I think people with cancers, there is a lot of shame. I think you wrestle with feeling like I didn't do something right. And I think that's almost our superiority in America, believing that we can control all things and that if you did this, if you did that, and it's like, I literally shitted myself to death. And eventually you start to go, it's not about that. I did everything I knew what to do at the time. I remember the doctor coming in after my colonoscopy, after I went through all the pretreatments and saying, 
listen, you know, Tracy, it's literally, I don't see any kind of, of the cancer from what I can see on the colonoscopy. However, he's like, there's a ton of scar tissue. And I said, what would you do? Like, I just, I'm struggling. I don't want this surgery. And he said, do you want to see your kids graduate? I remember him saying that. He said, cause listen, he said at the end of the day, I would do it because you just don't know what the lymph nodes look like. We can't go deeper than that. And he said, and even though it looks good on the surface, you're 40 years old. I know that it's a life altering surgery. And he's like one of the best doctors you could go to. And he's like, I could try my best, but it was so close. And it was wrapped, literally wrapped into that oh, muscle. Yeah. I used to say, SOS, save my sphincter. And it was like, <laughs> it's not going to be saved. It's so funny. Mine was rectal too, which is rarer side compared to colon. And so yours must have been higher. A little bit higher. Yep. So my surgery was through the back door. Okay. Um, It helped me tremendously because then they didn't have to open me up completely. So it shortened my recovery time. Yeah. I don't have a back door anymore. My (laughs) back door is closed for business. (laughs) I love it. You know what? It makes road tripping way easier. I love it. You got to find a silver lining. Awesome. Yeah. My dad had the bag for, oh, I forget because he had the resection surgery. He's had colon cancer just a few times. And so he was on the bag for a bit. He's reconnected now, but he said the same thing. You know, once you get into the rhythm of it and adjusting, it's really not so bad, but it is, it's a lifestyle thing. And it is a sacrifice. And it's definitely something, there was a lot of grief work. I call myself the fit chick cancer thriver and all about how do you overcome? How do you get on the other side of something so challenging? And I think it wasn't only that I had cancer, which is hard. And then the treatment was so unbelievably, I mean, just the suffering I think I went through was just horrendous. And then to then have this life altering situation and six hours later, my husband's in the ER and then we start that journey with him. and. Just working through, you need it's like grief is just like a cocoon and you're like peeling it back and you think, okay, like I've accepted this and then you're like doing well. And then all of a sudden more, you know, punches you in the face. It's definitely a daily choice of staying aware, acknowledging when the feelings are there and allowing yourself the space to like feel the feels and giving yourself the permission to spend 10, 15 minutes with sadness or anger or grief or whatever it is, and then be able to take that and move towards acceptance because your life is never the same. I mean, it's just not. That's one thing I've definitely noticed following is that I'm much more gentle with myself because naively I thought, oh, I'll have the surgery and then my life will go on and do 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 it all. But I didn't realize even to this day, like the colon cancer awareness day was just a few days ago. And I was sitting there and I was like, so I'm about two years post and I think I'm just coming to the realization of like how really lucky I am and how affected I still am because I have to get all these screens because with oh, yeah. syndrome, there's so many areas of the body that's screened. So, so you I- ended up with Lynch syndrome. Okay. Lynch yep. syndrome. Yeah. You know, every three months I'm having like some organ in my body <laughs> screened and <laughs> they're recommending preventative surgery. Well, they have been, and I'm going to go through with it at the end of the year. So I will be saying goodbye to my lady parts and entering menopause early. A conscious decision to 
say goodbye to healthy organs. That's hard. So each test I go through is triggering in some way. So I've learned to give myself space that when I have these tests, and I used to book patients or clients like right after them and just go right about my day. Now I'm leaving room to process and integrate. Depending on the severity of the test, like if it's a biopsy versus just an ultrasound, maybe the whole rest of the day or maybe just an hour or two, just to like sit with it and give myself Mm -hmm. the space. And I think that itself is very healing and preventative. Let me ask you a question because it was something it took me a while. What do you notice like a couple days or even a week before you know you're going for like the CT scan or the colonoscopy? Like what behaviors... Have you learned to like, okay, I am actually affected by this? Because sometimes mm-hmm. I'd be like, no, I feel fine. Yeah, and then, but there were these uh-huh. behaviors and oh, I was like, oh, I'm not. Usually the 48 hour, I know it's on my calendar. Like I have two tests in May and one in June. So I know they're coming up, but it's out of sight, out of mind. And then I'll notice 48 hours prior, I just charge with my stuff, like blinders on till I get in the test door. <laughs> and then it's afterwards, I'm like, Okay. So I'm trying to be more gentle about that. So I'm not resistant and blocking and I'm feeling all the feels. Feel all the feels. Feel all the feels. (laughs) And be more open. Because a lot of our clients and and my patients, they, it might not be that they're dealing with cancer or a Lynch syndrome or a genetic mutation, but each of us have something. I have a few patients with autoimmune disease, or I have some yoga teachers I'm mentoring and they're working through trauma struggles and we all have something we're mentoring or working through. And I think if I can be more open with them, like, hey, today, I'm going to get a test later this afternoon. And if I seem a little off, it's why? It might be why. And I think I'm getting to the point where I can be better about that. Yeah. Instead of just like shutting down, (laughs) shutting down the feels. Or being like overly optimistic. I find myself being, oh, I need to be the sunshine. Yeah. I'm going to like be the overcomer. And then meanwhile, like I have no nails. You know, I'm not sleeping. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I should get a Xanax. Maybe I should say yes to that prescription, you know? <laughs> oh, sure. well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with anyone that's maybe going through <clears throat> something right now? I think if you're going through something, I think it's important to allow yourself to be okay wherever it is you are at. I think a lot of times you try to do something or you think you should do something. And I think what I've learned more importantly is take that time to be. And if that is 10 minutes, in the bathtub or 10 minutes laying in bed without a phone to distract you, without a person to, I guess, sharing their energy, just really being by yourself and allowing yourself to see what comes up. Because I think that illness or pain or grief or trauma of any sort, there's a story that those parts of you want to tell. And I think we delay the healing, we delay the story when we distract ourselves, whether it's with alcohol or social media or over-exercising or just Netflix or just people in general. I think codependency is a big one. Like if I focus on my children or I focus on this, 
it can be healthy, but there's a line. And I think when you're going through it, it's being able to recognize like right now I need to just laugh and watch a movie. And then maybe I need to go feel something so that I can sit with myself and I don't stockpile all these dirty, toxic emotions. And then we don't know what to do with them when it's over. I think if you are past something and you're trying to navigate back to life, I think I say this a lot. I say, hashtag, make the most out of every opportunity. Like catch those moments in life that are beautiful. If it's sunny out, stand out there for more than 60 seconds when you're just walking to your car and just enjoy it. Enjoy watching your kid, the 18th baseball game that you're like, I'm so tired. I don't feel like being here. But being able to make the most out of everything because I think, you know, when you get a diagnosis, your life goes, wow, it could be really quick. And so I want the most out of it and just enjoy the journey that I have right here, right now, and try to not strive so much through the next thing, get to the next thing in the next place. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And they're perfect right where they are. And it's like, we're all humans. So it's not your fault. Yeah. And you know, when I chose my business name, you know, my business name is Mosaic and it's changed the mirror from the inside out. And a mosaic is a painting that when you step back, it looks whole. It looks perfect. But when you come closer, you see the brokenness. You see that there's lines and they're not perfect. And I feel like that's a lot of people. There's a lot of broken people walking around pretending they're perfect. And we look perfect. I was at a friend's house and she's like, Tracy, I just don't you struggling with that because you seem so together and you seem so happy all the time. And I am, I mean, I am a pretty happy person and I always, I want to be as authentic as possible, but the broken parts aren't always for people on social media to see. Like there's the safe people I have in my life that see those broken pieces. And I can share some of that later, but the brokenness is what makes us so vulnerable. And I think makes our humanity um, we can sit with each other in those spaces. When I'm like, you know what? I've been there too. I get that. I feel that. I know what it's like to be sad and to grieve. And we can share this together because really human wholeness only comes from the willingness to connect, I think, with each other on those deeper levels. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your story and everything today. I appreciate your time. And next time you're going to be on my podcast. I would love that. Hey there, before you go, if you want to learn more about gut health and how it can impact pain, your energy levels, and so much more, make sure you join me this Saturday, August 22nd at 
noon Pacific Standard Time for a workshop on how to boost your immunity and lower inflammation. We'll be learning specific yoga postures for both of these as well as a lot of diet tips. So you can join uh, and save your spot through the link in the show notes. So just head there and you can, if you miss the live date, you can actually purchase this workshop at any time and watch the replay. Enjoy. Enjoy.